This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast for the 8th of October 2019, and here is my Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast co-host, Yon. And I wanted meatballs. Love that movie. I thought you might. I thought you might. <laughs> so, this is a, a collab, a mashup, a, yes. uh, a joining of forces... A force multiplier. Um, I've, I've, I've run out of other things to say. But generally, this is uh, quite an interesting, hopefully interesting chat, where we uh, decided we would pair up with another podcast, The Cloud Pod. If you haven't uh, checked them out yet, go across to uh, www.thecloudpod.net or find them on any of your usual favorite methods for getting podcasts. So we had uh, Peter, Justin, and Jonathan on, and uh, we we talked about cloud things, I believe. Yeah, all cloud stuff, because uh, their podcast, as you might gather from their name, uh, is actually talking about public cloud and all shapes, forms, and uh, well, whatever you want to make from that. And we thought that since we were talking about things like uh, CICD and uh, DevOps stuff and having hybrid cloud and things like that, well, we have our views on it, but these guys are well, they're the experts, let's say. They have the cloud pod. So we had them on, and uh, you say you think it's interesting. I, I'm pretty sure it's interesting, so I'm happy they were on, and uh, maybe we should uh, let them start talking. Yeah, let's get to it. So we are joined today by not one, not two, but three special guests. Uh, are you feeling Are you feeling honoured, Jan? I'm feeling totally superfluous, to be honest. <laughs> oh, so so it's just like normal. Okay, that's good. <laughs> so we're joined today by uh, the three co-hosts, or three hosts, I should say, of the uh, the Cloud Pod: Justin Broadley, Jonathan Baker, and Peter Rosakis. Welcome, guys. Good morning. Hello. How's Good morning. Going? So uh, thank you for joining us, and uh, we've invited these guys because we were we were looking for a, a set of people that we could quiz who would be, uh, you know, somewhat cloud uh, aware, but also able to give opinions on multiple clouds. So there's no point in uh, getting vendors involved unless you want a, a slanging match to develop. Um, so uh, we thought we'd ask all the kinds of questions that uh, you'd ever want to know, uh, but... Uh, but we're afraid to ask. And uh, the CloudPod guys seem like a cool bunch uh, that we could uh, harangue into this. So first of all, guys, I say thanks uh, very much for joining. And uh, as a way to uh, introduce uh, each of you to our audience, do you want to give uh, a brief introduction? So Peter, you were the first to, to sign in. So do you want to say hi and introduce yourself? Excellent. Hello. Yeah, Peter Rosakis with uh, Foghorn Consulting. I'm the CTO and one of the co-founders. So my experience, we've been basically helping people migrate and run workloads on the cloud for pretty much since EC2 was just coming out of beta. So a long time. And uh, we got to see a lot of different environments, a lot of different use cases. Uh, and you know, since Amazon's been around, we've also been able to help people with GCP and Azure. Very nice. Very nice. Excellent. And uh, Justin, you're up next. Yeah, so I am Justin Broadley. 
I'm an IT executive with Ellie Mae. We're a, a company that makes mortgage software for the US market. Um, I've been doing cloud forever. Before this company, I was on the dark side with Peter on consulting uh, at a different company, where I built them out to be a premier partner, uh, sponsoring AWS, Azure, and Google. So a lot of uh, multi-cloud in my background as well. Nice, nice. And uh, last but definitely not least, Jonathan. Hey, guys. So I'm Jonathan Baker. I work with Justin. I've followed him around the uh, the country, pretty much. I like to think of myself as a, a problem solver. I like swooping in at the last minute and uh, coming up with interesting and timely solutions to things. I've been working with AWS for six or seven years, I think, now. So it's, uh, it's great fun. Thanks for the introductions, guys. Um, so... As we uh, as we said at the start here, if this is all the questions that uh, that people wanted to ask but were afraid to, and uh, it starts with the biggie: um, is is any one of these clouds better than the other? And I guess if what you know, what does better even mean? Um, so I'll I'll kind of round robin perhaps between uh, uh, between each of you, and we'll just. Uh, We'll just keep this as a fairly free discussion. You know, how do people choose um, a cloud provider? Um, we'll start off with Peter. Sure. So I, you know, we've had in the beginning we had we used to actually do a service while we'd help do a um, like a balanced scorecard and help customers pick a cloud. And uh, so we've mm -hmm. done this a lot, and it's always been the case to date where Amazon has just been so far ahead of the other two providers from a comprehensive feature set standpoint that mm -hmm. when customers are looking for a single cloud, usually they end up at Amazon. Uh, we yeah. do have a couple specific, you know, specific areas where customers have other um, people have other requirements, business requirements, et cetera, um, business mm -hmm. relationship requirements. But Amazon has been so far ahead of the other two and um, it's been not too exciting to pick the best cloud. Uh, last year I so or so I'd say it's it's starting to get a little bit more interesting but to date uh, I got to say Amazon is is the leader yeah yeah I mean it just sort of my my kind of back of a back of a stamp kind of guess at it feels like AWS is the grab bag that has everything um, but you may or may not want to care about what level of support you'll get. Azure feels like the cloud that you know if you've got if you've got a, a huge Microsoft agreement, then that's probably the easiest first choice. And GCP is the really fast one that um, that far fewer people, um, far fewer organizations um, sort of use at the moment, although gaining traction. Um, Justin, what about you? What are your thoughts here on this one? You know, I agree. I think um, AWS by far has the most primitives. It has the most uh, you know, managed services on top of those primitives. And it really gives you the, the best depth uh, and breadth as you kind of look at cloud providers. But in the last, I'd say, year, Google has come on very aggressively. They're catching up pretty quickly. And we're seeing more and more companies start to make that decision um, a little bit differently and look at Google as kind of the next, next step in cloud. I think... The, the risk that I always see with any of these cloud providers like Azure or Google is that if you look at Amazon's outages they've had in the big ones, you know, the S3 meltdown, uh, US East 1 outages in the past, um, those outages are all five, six, seven years ago now. Um, whereas you see 
uh, an Azure outage and you look at the RCA on that and you say, well, that's the exact same outage Amazon had five years ago. <laughs> and so you're actually yeah. getting a less mature, a uh, little bit more error-prone cloud because they're newer and they're not quite as battle-tested as you get with AWS. So for my my world, you know, AWS is still by far the one I would go with. But you know, I'm biased because I've used AWS forever. But the more I see GCP, the more I look at it and say, hmm, that might be my next cloud. I don't know. It's uh, it's definitely evolving in a way that I didn't expect, and uh, it's very interesting. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, one of the one of the challenges with. Um, with the outages are you know it when you have a when you are the market leader by you know, the majority of ways of defining market leader and you have an outage it seems like almost everybody is affected because almost everybody is is using your services in some somewhere or another especially when it's the US east which is the oldest and potentially crustiest of the the regions under AWS um Jonathan how about you what's your view on this um, I I definitely think that AWS is has been the most customer focused for years, mm. and it shows with the products they launch. Uh, it shows with the the level of support that they give. I think Google undoubtedly have some of the best technical expertise in the world. Um, mm-hmm. Their you know their AI and deep learning platforms and data analytics are, are probably second to none. Um, Azure, though, I, I don't know. I feel like it's, it's it's a bit kind of the uh, the old guard. They only I feel like they only created the cloud as a way to continue selling Microsoft products and Microsoft licenses. And if yeah. if you're already a Microsoft shop, um, it would make sense to go with them, especially with the changing of, of the license terms recently. It's it's very it becomes much more expensive to use other clouds um, because of the non-portability of these uh, SQL licenses and probably probably more to come. Um, yeah. But yeah, overall, I think um, Google haven't done a very good job selling themselves until this last year. Mm-hmm. AWS have been very customer focused, and, and uh, Microsoft, I, I think they're, they're definitely a third in my book. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right. So next up is sort of seems to be where you know, the majority of organizations are or let's say a lot of organizations have already done and moved towards cloud in some way, shape or form. And a lot of the organizations that, you know, made that move early on, you know, they've they've evolved fairly comfortably into that cloud world, but they're now looking at the next big change or challenge, uh, which is, you know, multi-cloud. The 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 old quote of cloud being the mother of all lock-ins, I think, is still very prevalent. So with um, with multi cloud, what are the the pros and cons that uh, you see in this space when an organisation is looking at a, a multi cloud strategy? And uh, for this one, we'll start with Justin. Yeah, so you know, there's a couple different types of multi cloud, and, and when you hear people talk about it, it's really uh, multi cloud from the lowest common denominator perspective, where I want to be able to take my workload that's running on EC2 today in AWS, and I want to move it to Google mm-hmm. Cloud uh, running on instances there. And I want to be able to do that based on market rates or cost market uh, and do that quickly and efficiently. Um, that's one side of multi-cloud. And then the other side of multi-cloud is where you look at the, the offering to reach the cloud providers and you really say, I want to use Google because they have the best AI. I want to use Azure yeah. because they have the best support for SQL Server. And then you choose the right cloud for your need at that particular moment. Um, of those two different models, the first one is the one I would recommend you don't do. 
<laughs> it's the <laughs> it's the it's the worst one. Uh, it, you don't actually get a lot of the benefits of the cloud. It ended up being more expensive, and mm-hmm. it's really difficult to be able to move workloads seamlessly between different cloud providers in any amount of time that makes sense for you to actually take advantage of those savings. And those costs become much higher. But that's you'll hear people talk about the avoid the lock in, design for all the clouds, move your workload. That's really a bad story, and I don't recommend it. But that the other second story I mentioned where you're really focusing on the right solution, the right cloud provider for the need, I think that is the right way to do multi-cloud. I think there's a lot of advantages to taking um, Google's cloud for AI, a different cloud for containerized workloads perhaps, and then really using the right solution for the job. And that's yeah. really the, the end of the day of what you need to be doing, where you need to be driving these things. Um, you know, there, There's also... The other big multi-cloud use case I hear is the the people who've chosen the wrong cloud and now are moving to the right cloud. <laughs> and so they're multi-cloud because they have to be, and it's, it's only for a period of time why they're you know moving yeah. off of uh, provider Y to provider Z. Um, and that's the other kind of big scenario you see in multi-cloud. But it's it's definitely... Um, I would take, be very careful about just jumping right into a multi-cloud vision and journey, especially when you consider that most companies going to the cloud is new, just moving to the cloud is a big lift. And then you're trying to actually now do multiple clouds. It just doesn't make Focus on one cloud first, be really good at one cloud provider, and then start deviating into the next set of clouds. That makes sense for your business and what that use case is. Yeah, yeah. No, that's those are really good points, actually. And I, it's the, the amusing thing to me about, we all had a slight chuckle at people that deployed on the wrong cloud. Um, <laughs> The, the most amusing thing for me there is that this is evolving so quickly that you could spend your time migrating to the right cloud. And actually, by the time you get there, that could also be the wrong cloud for you. So, yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good point. Um, yep, Jonathan, what are your thoughts? <laughs> what are your thoughts on, the, on this uh, multi-cloud pros and cons? I, I think well, most of my career has been working with either healthcare or educational customers, or now more recently the finance industry. And the the thought of trying to go multi-cloud in any of those environments is um, it's kind of shocking because the the effort that needs to go into compliance and governance uh, and control your data, uh, just multiply that by three. Uh, it's, it's it's already too much today. So trying to do that for two two clouds or three clouds or even more. Um, it's just very expensive, and I, I think any any savings you would have got from getting a slightly better rate from Google or a slightly better service, native service from AWS, that's going to be lost in the in the expense of managing um, your vendor. So I'd, I'd pick one. Um, I think Google's definitely had got a bit of an advantage because they they've watched Amazon for years. And that some of the, the very targeted services that they're launching, you think, wow, that's great. If only Amazon had done that five years ago. But th- they have the um, they have the advantage of being able to follow the leader. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I, I don't yeah, think I don't think multi cloud is, is a good advantage. strategy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good points. Good points. Uh, Peter, what about you? What are your yeah. thoughts on uh, multi cloud pros and cons? I agree with a lot of what. Um, both Jonathan and Justin are talking about. I think we see people moving to multi-cloud usually when uh, there's a really large organization and effectively, you know, different business units have different budgets and in larger corporations, you're not running like, uh, you know, a single app like you are at at Facebook. Um, You're Mm. running uh, several different types of workloads, different uh, business units with different requirements. And so, I think they, the, the IT teams there that are responsible for security and connectivity to those clouds are sort of forced and required to be able to support 
all of those clouds based on the demands of the varied business units. So I think it's sort of becoming a requirement just to be able to have the basics, you know, the network connectivity, the identica- identification, authentication, um, integration with those clouds. Um, it is overhead, um, but I think it's just going to be a requirement moving forward, especially with some specialized workloads. I think you know the multi the benefit of the multi cloud. If you look at the big picture, would be um, the right workload, the right cloud for the right workload, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, and so yeah, I think companies are going to be forced to do that, and definitely don't waste your time trying to make workloads portable, uh, but uh, be prepared as a large organizations to have to support all of them. Uh, I mean, the other thing I think. You know, and I've been thinking about this a lot in the last three or four weeks. Is you know, I was answering this question at an Amazon event, and they were talking about lock-in. And um, you know, the thing is, is we make lock-in choices all the time in cloud and in technology. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's from I'm going to use a .NET stack, or I'm going to use a Java stack, I'm going to use Oracle Database versus MySQL versus SQL Server. Those are all choices of lock-in. And so this fear that I think is kind of permeating the industry of like, well, I don't want to be locked into AWS. I don't want to be locked into GCP. Um, I really think that's misplaced, and I think that's mm. it's a big thing that we need to kind of start changing our mindset on in the industry because these are choices that we make every day in industry and what we do in technology. And this is just another form of choosing Windows versus Linux versus Mac, um, and and that's really I think where we need to start changing the conversation from being you know lock in because AWS is going to spend you know increase their price or whatever is not really the fear. The, you know, the choice is, you know, the platform you're building on, is it the right platform for you? Is it the right platform that meets your business needs and doesn't meet um, the technology requirements that you have at the end of the day? And I think that's where it has to kind of start pivoting to beyond I'm afraid of Amazon or I'm afraid of AWS or I'm afraid of Azure. Um, I think that's really what it needs to, to drive in the future. Yeah, I think those are really good points. Uh, by the way, the right answer is Linux, uh, just so you know. Um, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> we totally but, agree um, with you on that. I, <laughs> so uh, one thing I would definitely say is like decisions made from fear are rarely, rarely the best decision that you can make. You know, something made where you take emotion out of it and you look at it with, from with a, a completely kind of clinical view is almost always going to be uh, a better decision rather than, as you say, something like fear of fear of Amazon kind of eating our business or whatever it might be is is definitely going to be. Um, you can have a better decision made that way. But yeah, excellent points. Um, so the next question is, uh, and I, you guys may well be slightly biased at this, but I'm going to ask the question anyway, is does everything need to be cloud? Um, and we'll start off with uh, with Jonathan for this one. Ooh, that's a, that's a very open-ended, tough question. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, does everything need to be cloud? I think... The uh, f- from a from a business perspective, moving your data closer to your customers is 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 good for many reasons. One, uh, mm-hmm. you use less bandwidth to get the data there. You have better uh, levels, better quality of service, or better response times. Um, from the uh, wow, that is that's a, a very tough question. I think anymore, it, it makes sense to focus on. The, the needs of your business and the business logic rather than yeah. the infrastructure, rather than buying things and having them in racks. If, if you can rent something and then upgrade it on a moment's notice, uh, turn it off when you want to use it, it makes a lot of sense financially. I think, although, although cloud's kind of sold as being cheaper than data centers, it's not always the case. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, if, if you use it properly, 
uh, you can certainly get much better value from the services you you, you buy than by uh, you know ordering Dell computers and stacking them in racks and keeping them around for five years. Yeah, so you'd go for a cloud first, or yeah, cloud unless yeah. approach. Yeah, I, I think I think I think cloud first for the at least for the areas of business I've been working in, it makes a lot of sense because. Um, not not only is someone else managing the infrastructure, but they're, you're also making them responsible for many of the many of the levels of uh, uh, risk. Yeah, I think that's the sort of the risk side of things is something we'll probably touch on a little bit later. But uh, I mean, Peter, what's what's your view? Does everything need to be cloud? I would definitely say no. It does not need to be cloud, but I think cloud first is definitely. Uh, at a minimum, what people should be looking at. And I think most of the industry is doing that right now that I see other mm-hmm. than a few, a uh, few outliers. But, um, I mean, there's just so much existing investment in workloads that may, uh, may not run great in the cloud. Maybe to a, I mean, you may just, it's more trouble than it's worth, than it's worth to move to the cloud because it's sunsetting in, you know, X number of months or years. Um, or you have existing investments in data centers that you can get good value out of. As far as new workloads go, I think that, uh, you know, strategically thinking, I think we could do better than the hyperscalers and we're going to build our own data center. Even if you could do that and you can do it better, faster, cheaper, um, if you're not in that business, I think it's a huge distraction. And I think that even if it were always more expensive to go to the cloud, if I were running a business that weren't in the cloud, that weren't, I wasn't trying to be a cloud provider, I would be leveraging cloud. So I think it's absolute cloud first cloud almost always um mm-hmm. but it, you know use those existing investments wisely cuz there's no reason to just throw those away yeah yeah i mean lo- like all of these things make a make a decision based on based on the facts rather than just kind of guesswork and emotion yeah yeah perfect um so uh, justin you're up uh, last but not least uh, what's your view does everything need need to be cloud uh, I don't think it has to be cloud, but I definitely think, you know, as Peter mentioned, that there's advantages to your business not to focus on infrastructure and, and really where you drive that uh, that discussion. I think if you look back at you know, the last 20 years, at least of my career, you know, there was a point where we used to build data centers in our office buildings. And then when you needed to scale, that wasn't good enough. And so then you had a choice. You either bought Colo or you bought a data center and you built it out and then you managed it. But typically there was a break even where you said, you know, at 100,000 square feet of data center space, it doesn't make sense for us to own the building and own the power and all the all the overhead of managing a data center. Uh, and that number continued to go up as, you know, things got cheaper and more efficient in colo space. And so you colo. And I think we're kind of at the same point with cloud, right? Where, you know, instead of the answer being colo, now the answer is you just go to the cloud because the cloud takes away all this complexity and these different systems from you and you just worry about it. You get better security. You do all these things. But if your business is going to be Facebook <laughs> or it's going to be uh, LinkedIn or different providers like that that are very single-purpose single SaaS business, the need to go to uh, cloud becomes less attractive because you actually need to own a lot more of your stack to make your system scale. And I think those are the type of customers who will continue to build out their own data centers and their own systems. Uh, but even that's changing. We just saw LinkedIn announce, uh, you know, three or four weeks ago that they're going to Asia now since they're definitely owned by Microsoft. Um, you know, <laughs> so I think that will continue to change as it goes over the next few years here as clouds get bigger and bigger. Um, but at least right now, like companies like Facebook, it doesn't make sense for them. Uh, and so I think those type of workloads, 
uh, today don't necessarily make sense. I think there's also data sovereignty rights, especially in the EU. Um, if there's not a cloud mm-hmm. provider in your country of origin and you need to have that data in country because you're dealing with citizenship data, you know, those are systems that you can't put on cloud yet. Now, the cloud providers are trying to catch up and they're building up those data centers as fast as they can. Um, but if that's a, a requirement that you have, maybe you can't go to cloud today, but it's something you should be looking at. How do you become cloud native, even in your private cloud infrastructure? Because when the cloud does get there, you want to take advantage of it. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. So you mentioned uh, you mentioned data sovereignty, but one of the things that uh, that often comes up when people are talking about uh, about cloud is um, you know cloud security and is is cloud secure enough? Um, and you can't go. It certainly seems you can't go a week you know without another huge. Um, data breach or secure, cybersecurity breach of some kind of sort um, erupting onto the headlines. And these are definitely not all kind of cloud-related. Some of them are very clearly on-prem, although the number of data breaches that uh, turn out to be, you know, someone's just left a whole bunch of customer data on an open, unsecured, well, anything from a S3 bucket to a, a web server is is kind of bizarre. But... The question here really is, you know, should people consider cloud to be secure enough for running all of their business critical workloads on? Um, So this question uh, goes to Peter first. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because the first customers that really came to us looking for help moving to the cloud uh, that were of scale, like I think it was really started to pick up 2013 or so. Uh, were mm-hmm. companies who were looking to do uh, do compliant workloads, whether it was HIPAA compliance or high trust certified mm-hmm. workloads on the cloud, or were financial services um, uh, focused and needed PCI compliance? Um, yeah, yeah, and so yeah. it was interesting to me that that was the that was the first thing people asked for. And so we've been really involved in helping people with a focus on security. And um, from my perspective, the way that I see people um, who need that security, uh, oftentimes it's way easier to get the security and compliance in the cloud because the hyperscalers have taken away a significant portion of that stack for you to worry about. And yep. all of, again, all these companies are not in the data center business or in the security business. They're in their own business. And so the more you can take away, uh, I think the better. So from my perspective, it's way easier to secure a workload on a public cloud provider than it is in your own data center. Yeah, excellent points, excellent points. So uh, next up, same question to, to you, Justin. Uh, is, cloud, is cloud secure enough? Well, you know, having done many, many security certifications from ISO to SOC 2 to um, HIPAA, high tech, et cetera, you know, I just look at the at what it took to do that as my as a private company, right? And in a colo space, and the amount of controls, and auditing, and the cost, and the expense of doing all those things, and I then I look at what Amazon's doing, and you know, you have forty five badges on a screen of all the different security frameworks they're complying with and auditing of regularly. <laughs> 
and I, I get cold sweats because I would hate to have to do that job. <laughs> um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, those those compliances are hard and they're very difficult to do. And so the fact that all that's taken away from me and I don't have to worry about that for the physical layer is is amazing. And it allows, I think, the the big part is that companies need to be focusing more on their apps and how their apps are secured because that's where the big vulnerabilities are going to happen at. You're seeing, you know, SQL cross uh, SQL injection attacks. You're seeing cross site scripting. Um, mm. That's where the attack vectors are. That's where companies need to focus. And so if they can stop worrying about securing that network switch and start focusing on their application code and really resolving the security deficiencies there, I think that's the right approach for most companies. Now, Amazon and Azure and Google have given you a ton of tools, a ton of capabilities, and with great responsibility <laughs> you know, comes, comes potential <laughs> for damage. And so you have to make sure that you know, you're not just letting your dev team go out there and, and run S3 buckets open to the internet. You know, you need to have compliance. You still need to have guardrails. You still need to have those different things in place that will help you keep your system secure. Because, you know, an open S3 bucket is easy. <laughs> That's an easy attack. Yep. It's a simple list of a bucket. I get the data. I pull it down. That's something that you could have avoided with just a little bit of thought and a little bit of work. Um, and typically, the companies that are struggling with that are they have development teams that are out of control or have too many, too much access, not enough guardrails, and there's too many buckets for them to monitor and manage. They're not focusing on it. And so I think that's an area that I think we're seeing the weaknesses in the cloud providers is really that they haven't necessarily given enough tools to allow companies to avoid shooting themselves in the foot. And so I think that's where you're starting to see the cloud providers now provide new capabilities. You know, Amazon now has very big, bold letters. When you go try to get a bucket, try to make it public, it says, are you sure you really want to do this? Because this is what it means in plain English yep. <laughs> uh, versus, you know, a bunch of techno babble, which is what it kind of used to be. So I think uh, it's on the cloud providers a little bit to help you know, reduce the sharp edges, but it's also the, comp the right thing for the companies to do to focus on the part that matters to their business, which is the application tier, and stop worrying about the infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in many cases, the, when it comes to shooting themselves in the foot, you know, the, the cloud providers have essentially given every single customer a machine gun rather than a single loading pistol that they used to have. And <laughs> Well, yeah, or a bazooka and blowing the, the entire lower half of their body. But some of it, I, I'm sure some of it is also down to education on the, the individual company side. And maybe that's maybe that's something on, on both sides, both the cloud providers and the adopting organizations both need to work towards education. Um, and certainly the uh, the point around technobabble versus clear, understandable English, I think is just endemic across the tech industry and something that everywhere and everybody needs to improve. So, yeah, absolutely. So that's that's all really good points. Um, and to round this uh, this question off, I think uh, same question: Is cloud secure enough? Uh, this time goes to Jonathan. I I trust that the the services that are provided by the Amazons and Googles and Azures of the world are uh, way more secure than anything I would be able to manage myself. Um, however. When it comes to the risks involved, I think you know, you know, 20 years ago, if you had a data center and you deployed a, either a server or a virtualized instance and you made a mistake in that configuration, it wasn't by default open to the internet. It, the blast radius is contained within the data center unless you explicitly you know, had firewall rules added to, you know, to allow access from outside. Because a lot of the services are cloud-based now, 
um, you, you lose you lose that containment, I think. So things like DynamoDB and S3, although they're sort of tied to your account from a financial perspective, they're public APIs. And so if you make a mistake in the configuration, you can, you can definitely risk um, losing things that you might not otherwise uh, have done if, if that was your own infrastructure. Um, so I think really, I mean, education is, is definitely the key. I think more and more tools, and I'm sure the cloud providers have realized this now, and more and more tools will um, will be introduced to, to monitor for misconfigurations or watch for your data escaping um, in the case of people like Capital One or, or S3. Mm. I think mm. um, I think sort of closing closing that loop to to bring the awareness back to the um, to the, to the customers as, as to what's actually happening with their data is, is going to be the next set of tooling we're going to see. Yeah, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So, Jan, I know that you have uh, you have a strong viewpoint on this particular point. <laughs> well, not a viewpoint, perhaps, but I used to work for one of the big cloud providers, and when security came up, the first thing we did was look at their current security environment in the current data centers, and a lot of customers had a very rosy view of their current uh, security situation. So I actually think that cloud has made the computing world a lot more secure because when you do this move to cloud, you have to look at your security environments, your measures, your, your whatever you're doing, procedures, people involved with a fine-tooth comb. And it really, a lot of skeletons fall out of the closet. So yeah, I sure, you can do everything unsafe if you do it wrong, but uh, I don't think clouds are per se unsafe and rather the opposite. No, if you guys points. agree. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I definitely agree, and I, I think the forcing the separation of responsibilities yep. at, at different parts of the stack helps c keep people a little more honest. I think <laughs> if, if it was your own servers and your own data center, then it it's would, okay. Go on, just just let just let this one slide. You know, it'll be okay. I'll fix it next week. I know it's wrong. Whereas. <laughs> right. Whereas if it's somebody else is responsible for that, you're all uh, you all have your own areas of responsibility, and everyone knows what, what those areas of responsibility are and what they mean. I think also for the auditors, it makes it easier for them too. Because if you think about uh, the private cloud space and the number of vendors that exist in just network security alone, and you know all these different vendors and companies are implementing them differently, and so how does an auditor actually come in and and audit something like that, um, and know that you know know for sure that the way they interpreted whatever the customer provided to them is secure is hard where now i think the auditors actually are gonna have the advantage of in the next few years they're going to realize well if you're on a cloud provider it makes our job way easier because it's the same basic principles we can audit it with automation now we can do a bunch of things that make it actually easier for us to secure and to validate that security and so i think there's there's definitely going to be this pivot point that's going to happen in cloud where the auditor companies like Ernst Young and, and PwC, et cetera, are going to start saying, hey, if you're on one of the big three cloud providers, we're actually going to charge you less money to do your audit because we can automate most of our checks and we can actually validate what we need to validate much more efficiently and give you a better sense of, of health and auditability and security. Yeah, great point. It, in a way, it's like, it's like the reverse of the multi-cloud argument. Yeah. Uh, if we were going to go multi-cloud, we, we'd have to go to the expense of... of um, security controls and governance everywhere. And I think for the auditors, they have the same problem. Now they've got 100 or 200 possible different flavors of private cloud that they need to understand fully in order to do, to do successful audits. Whereas if we move to the cloud, we, we have this standardization. Yep, no, all excellent points, really good. And that's it for the first part of the interview with the CloudPod 
guys, Peter, Justin and Jonathan, thank you very much for spending time with us. What do you think? I think it was very cloudy. <laughs> well, it's going to get worse. Weather forecast isn't improving yet. Of course, next week we'll have a news episode, but after that we'll have the second part of this interview. So unless you have anything else to add? Nothing else from me. Okay, last thank you for Peter, Justin and Jonathan for being on the podcast. And that is all the time we have for today. You can support this podcast by becoming a Patreon. Every contribution helps. Thank you very much for our current Patreons. We are on YouTube. Like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, make Dave happy. And you can go to www.roaringalpha.org for a link to our Patreon page and information about the podcast. You can follow us, well, me on Twitter using the Hadoopcast tag. And you can send feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until next time, my name is John. And my name is Cloudy Dave. <laughs> and we look forward to talking to you through the mists of clouds next week. Goodbye. See you then. <laughs>